Welcome. You're listening to the podcast of First Church in Woodland, California, Pastor Timothy Wisnett. We're so glad you could join us. And we pray that this message you're listening to today is a blessing to your day. And I want to invite you also to visit us online at firstchurch.app to get connected with us and learn about our service and upcoming events. And uh, we hope that we can connect with you and see you soon. Let's quickly get in the word of the Lord. Amen. The gospel of John chapter number 10. Amen. We're going to try to pick up where we left off. And, and uh, I know, you know, famous last words, but I'm going to tell you like Elizabeth Taylor told all eight of her husbands, I'll try not to hold you long. Amen. Just Google it on the way home. Amen. Praise God. Verse 10, or, or chapter 10, beginning at verse 25. Amen. Jesus says, Jesus answered him, I told you, and you believe in not the works that I do in my Father's name. They bear witness of me, but you believe me not because ye are not of my sheep. Look at somebody say, I want to be in his flock. How many feel that way? I I thank God I'm apostolic in doctrine, Pentecostal in experience and all that stuff. But I want to be of his flock. Whatever that is, whatever ism, whatever itis or whatever it is, I want to be of that. Amen. He said, but, and I said unto you, uh, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Amen. I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand my father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand and just for good measure Jesus just says let's just close this issue here I and my father are one in case you think it's two sets of hands it's not just one hand my hand is my father's hand my father's hand is my hand verse 27 my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and let's talk tonight uh, from the word of God on knowing the will of God I hope you've been um, getting some strength from this and some direction and we're going to talk about knowing the will of God Lord we thank you for your word we thank you Lord for the tremendous presence that we feel in this place led uh, from worship and, and faith and joy and excitement I pray Lord that you would open our understanding and need a, even a greater capacity to know you to hear you and and then to follow you in Jesus name and everyone said amen God bless you you can be seated everybody say know the will of God amen it's so important I uh, couldn't help but on the second flight from uh, Houston to Denver reflecting on the night that that I gotta be careful how I say that um, having been with Sister Templin on a flight all night long. <laughs> I'm tired, and I know that would get edited, and it would go everywhere. Amen. Uh, <laughs> the conversation. If you didn't get it, don't, don't dig any further. Amen. <laughs> Just say, bless him, Lord. He's jet-lagged. Amen. And I was re reflecting on um, the conversation we had had, and I, I couldn't help but but feel so much gratitude in my heart for the conversation, not that just we had, that, but that she had initiated in the particular direction she had initiated it in. 
and uh, I was excited about it, and I was meditating on it. Brother Roberto was meditating so much that he lost consciousness on that thing. <laughs> I, I look over, and, and he was just like, we were at 35,000 feet, but he was in another universe. And I'd just look over, and I would, I'd just say, oh, God bless him. Give him rest, you know. Uh, let him wake up from this and just, just feel rested. But we never do, amen. We always feel up feeling like, we, you, ever, you, ever, you ever done that, been up so long that when you take a nap, you wake up feeling like you got the flu, you know. And so uh, I'm thinking about the goodness of God and thinking about the conversation. And, and, and Sister Templet had some really great questions. And she said, you know, I've heard this, and, but I don't know the story. I've heard this story, but I don't know the backstory about you. Would, would you tell it a little bit? And um, the whole theme of that of that flight, that conversation for five and a half hours from 1 a.m. to 6.30 a.m., that flight or that conversation was about the will of God. And it was about knowing the will of God and it was about having the confidence to know that you know the will of God. And then there's, there's something as important as knowing the will of God and that is following the will of God. It's one thing to know it it's another thing to do it. And so having the confidence in your connection to God's will for your life to be able to say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to follow after the will. of I'm going to turn the key into ignition, and I'm going to use it. Amen. Wouldn't it? I feel sorry for people that buy these really nice cars, and it's a collector car, right? And, 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 and they, never, they never drive it, right? It's like, why? Would you spend all that money on that car and not drive it? Maybe I just don't appreciate that stuff, but like other people do, it's like, I mean, you, you've got this limited edition, you know, Dumaflachi vehicle, and it's got all the bells and whistles and all the Herkimerindas and all this on it, and yet you set it in the garage and you just walk out and dust it and go, isn't this thing wonderful? That, that engine, it's got a V8. You know, it's got a four-barrel carburetor in there. I mean, it can do zero to 60 in three nanoseconds. I mean, and they just sit there and look at how powerful and wonderful it is. But, but they never get in and back it out and drive it. So many of us have, have such powerful vehicles in our life that are parked in the garage of our faith that we just dust off from Sunday to Sunday. Oh, ain't God great. In the power of the Holy Ghost, wonderful. But we, we, we rarely sit in it and feel that that vehicle was custom made for our life, for us, not just to get to point A to point B, but to excel in that arena of our life that God has called us in. And why don't we do it? Well, we're afraid that we might lose control and run into a ditch, or we, hey, we're afraid that you know, some dingbat driver's going to sideswipe us, and this is a collector's edition. I saw a picture of, uh, uh, can't remember the guy's name, uh, famous actor, I'm blanking on his name, he bought a $2 million car and a Honda CRV sideswiped him. I'm just going to tell you right now. How would you like to be the adjuster on that other end of that phone call? You You, you did. Uh, Tracy Morgan is it Tracy Morgan Tracy Tracy yeah 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 side swipe and the, they show the picture of him like 
And I'm thinking, it's a $2 million car. <laughs> you know, that's the kind you drive around your gated community <laughs> with all the old people in their golf carts. You don't, you know, go downtown where somebody like me is in a Honda CRV and can sideswipe you. And the guy that sideswiped the car, he's looking at it like, he knows an expensive car, but you know, he don't know it's a $2 million custom Bugatti, I think is what it was. Can you imagine when he called State Farm? Hey, yeah, I'm, I'm call, I was just in an auto. Yeah, with who? Well, he's a famous comedian. Yeah, okay, well, what was he driving? It's a Bugatti. Sir, have the police got there yet? No, they're not here. Run. Run, call and say your car was stolen. Burn down any stores that have cameras pointing at the intersection. <laughs> Flee the country. Right? If we, don't, if we don't learn to not just know the will of God, but to activate the will of God, we have all this tremendous power in our life. We know that it works. We know its purpose. But we don't have the faith or we are too cautious about all the what-ifs around us that we never engage the vehicle that God has placed in our life, which is the power of the Holy Ghost, to be able to do that which God has called us to do in our... You say, well, God hasn't called me, you know, to, to, to you know, go do some great thing. Well, you would be absolutely wrong by that because God has called each one of us to make an impact in our world for the gospel of Jesus Christ, which was the first description, amen, of what the promise of the Father, the baptism of the Holy Ghost would do, was it would make us witnesses unto him, amen, in our world. And so the enemy doesn't mind if you own that $2 million Bugatti. He just wants to make sure you keep it in the garage. The devil, listen to me. He don't care if you talk in tongues till you get an accent. As long as you do it here. And it doesn't change anything outside of here. Because we can have our little car show every Sunday and Tuesday, but not make a difference. All of us are called to make a difference. All of us are called to be missionaries. All of us are called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your job is a mission field. You've got unsaved members in your family or in your home. That's your mission field. The clerk at the grocery store you see every week, that's our mission field. Amen. And God has given us the power of his spirit to act. Now, look, I, I, I understand. this isn't profound. This isn't deep. And if you didn't get anything out of this, just say, pastor should have stayed home and slept tonight. But we've got to learn to activate the power of the Holy Ghost in our life. I thank God. I thank God for, for who we are as, as a church. But I'm going to tell you, we have, we as a movement have gotten so uh, uh, backward in our thinking that we think the power of the Holy Ghost was given to us to work us up into a frenzy on a church service to where we dance and shout and get our blessing. But outside of that, it, we really don't have any engagement with it on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, Romans 8 and I believe 14 says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And so that's indicative of the fact 
that God intends for his children to be led by his spirit, or as Jesus would say in John 10, that we would hear his voice and follow him. Because God's not going to drive us. Shepherds don't use whips. Cowboys do. They drive the cattle. They get behind them, they scream, they whistle, they fire the pistols in the air and all that kind of stuff. But they, they don't take a whip, a, a shepherd rather, don't take a whip and beat the sheep for them to go, no, that's not how it works. He is the good shepherd. He will lead. It's up to us to be able to follow. Amen? We sing the old song, where you lead me, I will follow. Where you lead me, I will go. You have called me and I will answer Lead me, Lord, I will go. I want to be led by the voice of God. I want to be led by the voice of God. And I want God not have to fight with me over following his voice. I heard it said one time, a friend of mine, right right before I went uh, into evangelistic ministry, we were were praying one night at the church, and I had been praying this, this prayer about, Lord, um, and I, I didn't mean this in the pejorative sense, but I was praying, Lord, I want to be spiritual. I want to I have a spirit awareness. I, and so I was praying at prayer a lot. It, it went on for weeks. And we'd pray every night, usually about 10 p.m., 11 p.m., 2 or 3 in the morning. We'd, we'd have this prayer time. And he came over to me, and you'd have to know him. He's, he's a great guy, but he's got the personality of a rock. And so he comes over, and he says, right in the middle of my prayer, and he says, what, what do you think spirituality is? And I said, well, good question, you know. I just kind of like the sound of the word. I don't know, maybe hearing the voice of God. He said, well, you know, really, anybody can hear the voice of God if they will study his word and pray. And he said, I mean, let me just give you what I think spirituality is. And I said, okay. You know, he's older than me and smarter than me. And I said, sure, what do you think? spirituality means he said well I, I think spirituality means that if God says do something you do it without question and he said so you praying for it will not bring it to pass the only way you can become spiritual is when God allows you to hear his voice and then you to follow it or not does that make sense and so spirituality is not anything that we can pray or read our Bible enough to get, which all of those things are important. But it's a matter of hearing the voice of God, knowing the will of God, and then reacting to that knowledge by doing what God is asking of us in our life. And remember, God's not going to ask you to do something that he doesn't believe that you can do. You may not believe it, but, but God does not require my acceptance of it, of the belief of myself, only the acceptance of the belief in his voice. And if the shepherd says, follow me, and I know his voice, whether he leads me through the rocky high places of the mountain, or he leads me in the green pastures of the, uh, of the valley, or he leads me beside the still waters, or if he leads me through the valley of the shadow of death, I know the voice of the shepherd, and I've got enough faith to follow it irrespective of what my surroundings are. Amen. Now, this is just 
this is just Christian living 101. If we are going to be, uh, to live in that place of spiritual fulfillment, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands uh, because I don't want two things to happen. One, you do not raise your hand and then have to repent. And then raise your hand and wonder for the rest of the service what people thought about you raising your hand. But we can all be honest, and you can just give me a little wink so nobody else knows, that we all struggle with spiritual fulfillment in our life. Am, am I be, don't say amen, Brother Roberto. People will think. I'm just kidding. I heard all of y'all saying amen. I was like, Look, people are going to think something about it. No, we all struggle with fulfillment in our life. Spiritual fulfillment. Am I what God wants me to be? Now, if, if you are a spiritually perceptive person, you are asking yourself that question. Successful people ask themselves that question all the time. You know, I, I, I marvel at people that look at successful people and just hate them because they're successful. What motivates you is to hate what they've achieved rather than saying, how did they achieve it? And oftentimes the way they've achieved it is by the constant self-evaluation. Am I doing what my purpose in life is or what my goal in, in life would be? And if not, how can I realign my habits uh, of life? How can I realign them to put me in the direction of where I want my business or whatever it's going? If you're going to live for God with spiritual fulfillment, you're going to have to get in a, in a very very sincere place of prayer and hold up a mirror to your spirit and that mirror is this and go am I what God wants me to be am I fulfilling God's purpose in my life and look in the mirror and it's not one of those funny mirrors this mirror is not like that it doesn't give you you know, uh, a big head and, and, and tiny waist. It doesn't do all that stuff. It doesn't, you know, make you look like uh, a penguin or anything. It, it, it's true. What is in here is going to reflect to you. And so you hold that up and say, am I spiritually fulfilled? Listen, spiritual fulfillment does not come based upon who you are within the structure of a church. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good now. Because what happens then is when people don't get positioned in the church, then they go somewhere else where they can be fulfilled in their ministry. Not realizing that the fulfillment of God's call in your life has little to do with the structure of the church and has more to do with what the will of God is in the mirror. And so more times than not, what do people do? They, like, they don't like what they see in the mirror, so they, they start twisting the mirror up. Or they just refuse to look. Does that make sense? It's like, you know, the old story that the emperor has no clothes, but nobody would tell him because they were afraid of. You, you are spiritually bankrupt, so to speak, but won't take that honest look because we know the word of God's going to require some stepping up in our life. I look in the mirror, and what I see in my physical mirror is, okay, 
you need to cash in on that gym membership you've been paying for. Now, I can do, I can do one of many things, but more importantly, one of two things. I can do that and start doing that. And I'm trying, but Brother Roberto took me to Ecuador and just really blew my plans for last week. I was going to start over again. Or two, I can just go to a mirror that's neck up where I can brush my teeth, shave my face, comb my hair. And if the only time we are taking spiritual assessment of our fulfillment is at church, you're only getting a view from the neck up. Amen. I, I'm determined that when we get to heaven, God's going to go, y'all were real, y'all were some mature apostolic Christians. Not these shallow, deep, well, if the preacher ain't screaming and the music ain't roaring and we're not jumping and hooping and hollering and we don't think it's spirituality. We have to take a spiritual welfare check and say, am I being spiritually fulfilled? And my spiritual fulfillment is not even based on the pulpit in the church. Because this is what, this is what, uh, see, I'm trying to find the word that would not get me in trouble with the PC police. Um, it, it, it's like, uh, like spiritual gender dysphoria. think you're one thing but God has already told you you're another so then rather being what God's called you to be you just try to convince everybody else around you to play along in the delusion okay amen I, I'm a man better for worse I'm one of these you know nuggle, knuckle dragon Neanderthal men right eat raw meat live in a cave we'd be happy if I come into church wearing high heels, y'all should think that's a man wearing high heels. Not me get so deluded that I, in delusion to say, play along with me and call me what I want to be called. We have spiritual gender dysphoria going on in the church world today. Where people come in and say, Pastor, tell me what I want to be spiritually instead of what God is calling me to be spiritually. Because if I become what God wants me to come, there's, become, there's responsibility with that. Because knowing the will of God is one thing, but obeying the will of God is another chapter of the book. Amen. That makes sense. Yeah. Praise God. We were. I was talking with um, Sister Template, and I think I started twenty-five minutes ago. Okay, so I'm gonna start. The plane needs to find the runway right now. I can feel it in my body. I need the <laughs> runway. So I want to talk to you about knowing the will of God, and then and and then doing the will of God. It's not always extreme. And I'm going to give you some extreme, and, and at least one extreme example. Don't go there. That's the will of God. <laughs> and these are kind of some extreme examples. But the, the, the length of this or the extremity of this example can be applied to principle in, in a daily life. 
Sister Templet was asking me different things, um, different stories that she had heard um, about me. And, and I said, look, believe, like none of what you see or none of what you hear and only half of what you see, you know. So I don't know what you've been told, but it was good stuff. And so she asked about, like, you know, I know you've been to the Philippines a lot. It's like almost 30 times or a little more than 30 times. And I know you've done, you know, missions work. And, and she said, you know, it's, it's, um, it's rare to see this happen. And, and she said, I just, I had heard that you had went to Haiti before. And, and somebody told me, and I don't know who told her, said, you need to ask him about that story. And so as she's telling, asking me this, and I mean, she should, I mean, she, she could, if she doesn't want to be a missionary, she could have her own podcast or something. She knows how to ask good questions and keep it going, especially with somebody like me with ADHD, and I'm just chasing rabbits all over the plane. She just kind of kept me. And so she said, I, I heard this story. It's pretty incredible. Would you tell me the story? I'm, I'm not going to go into detail. I'll, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. For those of you who don't know what a Reader's Digest is, they would take a book, condense it down, and give you the points, okay. And it's like a cheat book thing. And so, um, she, I, so I said, yeah, you know, that, what, what year was that, 2011, 2012? And um, I was, uh, I had been to the Dominican Republic, which is, Haiti shares an island with the Dominican Republic. And I had been there in uh, 2000 early 2000, February 2001, and I preached the follow of the fire crusade in right up about two hours out of Santo Domingo in La Romana. It's a town out there. And, uh, but that really didn't like put a missions bug in me, so to speak. I went and I was like, cool. Um, these people really like loud music. Of all the countries I've been to, there's nothing like Dominican Republic. They will blow your eardrums out at a restaurant. You, you mean you're sitting at a restaurant and you're going, hey, how are you? Just text each other. You're going to be better off. It is so loud. And so um, when the earthquake happened, because I had been to the Dominican, I'd been to the border of Haiti when I was there, um, I, I took, obviously, the loss of life was catastrophic. And... Uh, just seeing the chaos of it. And I remember sitting at the computer in, uh, in the kitchen slash office slash music room slash Bible study room slash <laughs> nap room. And I remember like being online watching the footage of it. My wife was in Napa, um, this is before Addison was born, and she'd go once a month to kind of help her mom and dad with some stuff. And, and I'm watching it, I'm watching this trauma unfold. Of course, you know, uh, the news people, this is where I really began to realize they're all just drama queens, just blowing everything up for ratings, and they're standing there with burning buildings. They're murdering everybody, but you're there. You know, Anderson Cooper, they're killing all the Americans. They're, they're burning it all down. This place is chaos. And he's standing there, and they're all running behind him. I'm thinking, well, they're doing that. Why didn't they grab you? You know, it's all for, you know, it's, it's drama. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm watching all this unfold, and, and, and I'm, I'm moving. I'm, 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 I'm weeping. I can't help it. 
and you're seeing homes flatten, entire neighborhoods flatten. And as I'm watching this, John 10 and 27 happened. And I heard the voice of my shepherd, and he said one word. You want to venture what that word was? Go. Like, go where? Pizza Hut? I can do that. <laughs> Haiti? I knew what it was, and I, and I started crying. I called my wife, and y'all, you need to pray for her. Y'all think she puts up just with a lot of, you know, quirkiness and just, you know, whatever. You, you have no idea. Because when I hear that voice, whatever it says, I'm doing it. I learned a long time ago. I, I'm going to do it. So what if you die? What do you mean? If I go to heaven? Really? Have you not looked around the world lately? <laughs> I, I'm not going to sit back and go, yeah, there's no fear in me at all. I was terrified. But, but his voice said, go. And I said, okay. So I called my wife. And, you know, a smart husband would have worked her to this point. Have you heard what's going on in Haiti? It's really bad. It's so tragic. I'm, I just called her and she answered the phone. I said, babe, I'm leaving for Haiti tomorrow. I highly recommend you men don't try this. She said, uh, what? What, what, what? Haiti is burning to the ground. It's a war zone. You, you, you can't go to Haiti. And I said, babe, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm going to Haiti. God told me to go. And I said, I'm going to follow him. Please don't make me choose between you and him because you're not going to like the answer. I'm always going to follow God. Amen. I know y'all some go, It should always be God first. Now, if I had any apprehension of that voice, I wouldn't have went. But I know the voice of my shepherd. And he said, go. He didn't say, go, and I'll protect you. See, we mess it up so much. Well, if God's in it, then he's going to protect. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I send you as sheep among wolves. But we want the guarantee of, I will never get sick. I will never... If I do that, then I'm not, there's not going to be any opposition or it's not the will of God. Really? Stop listening to Joel Osteen. Quit listening to these quirky, weird, little slimy TV preachers that just send them there. And this, Jesus said, if you're in the will of God, hey, what are you going to say to the early church where the will of God led them to be burned at the stake or their children fed the lions? But we've got our American version of the will of God. It'll never lead us in any, any uncomfortable place. And so I said, I'm going. And my wife, she is incredible. By the time she got home, she was supportive. And maybe not as understanding, but supportive. And I spent the rest of the day going out, filling up suitcases with medical supplies and baby formula. I didn't know where I was going. Couldn't get into Haiti. Had to fly into the Dominican Republic. Look. <laughs> My Creole is even worse than my Spanish. And my Spanish is still tech Spanish at this point. And I can't really get around. I don't know anybody there. But God said go. 
and I got on Priceline.com and I got the only ticket I could afford. Had about a hundred bucks in my pocket. Went to the Sacramento airport, kissed my wife goodbye and I headed to Haiti. On the way to the airport, because the times is happening, I'm getting phone calls from great men of God. If I said their names, you would absolutely know them. Some of them have stood in this pulpit preaching our meetings. They're calling me saying, hey, I heard you're going to Haiti. Yeah, look, you don't need to go. I got a bad feeling about this. These are, I mean, men that, them and God like play pinochle on the weekends. They're really, you know, they know. And one of them said, you, you can't go. And I said, well, let me ask you something, Bishop. Are you telling me I can't go or you don't want me to go? Because I, I've never disobeyed you, and I don't know that I could handle knowing that I would. But I know what God told me. And he said, well, I'd, okay, I don't want you to go. But if you feel that strongly about it, you need to go. So I went. I'm at the Denver airport. It's my first layover. I don't know where I'm going get to Miami airport, still don't know where I'm going. I know I'm going to the Dominican Republic, but it's a nine-hour drive from Santo Domingo to the other end of the island where Port-au-Prince is in Haiti. I don't know how I'm going to get there. Folks, I don't even got enough linguistic ability. There was no Google Translate. Blackberries had just come out, and they were horrible. I didn't know I was going to walk up to somebody and ask them in Spanish, hey, can you tell me to how to get nine hours across your beautiful country to get to a nation that's on fire right now? And I'm sitting in the airport at Miami. And I don't know if I've ever told this story here or not about Haiti. And I'm sitting in the airport, and the plane is starting to board. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to be the last one on the plane. I bought the Priceline ticket. I'm like boarding group 97. When they called my boarding room, it, it, group, it was like uh, boarding group bathroom. <laughs> and I sat there, and now, now the wheels are starting to turn in my mind, and I'm, I'm starting to panic a little more. I'm, I'm trying to shield my wife from the fact that I don't even know where I'm going. When a country bumpkin walks up to me and says, because I was, I was wearing um, some EMT pants, and I had, I, I had all kinds of gear on me that when I hit the ground, we were going to just, what's I was going to do about it. I was going to start helping. I said, I didn't need help. I had some uh, training as a paramedic. I'm going to do what I can do. And he walks over to me. He says, hey, uh, you going to Haiti? Yeah, I am. I'm going to try. He said, oh, who are you going with? Well, doctor, observationist, uh, it's just me, so it's going to be me and Jesus. I'm, he said, well, where are you going to stay? He said, don't know. How are you getting there? Don't know. He, he did like that. He goes, well, now when you hear a southerner do a well like that, what's about to follow is some, some pity for your stupidity. <laughs> Am I telling the truth? He said, well, boy, that's a, that's a mighty big risk. <laughs> yeah. He said, well, um, if you ain't opposed to it, well, you can go with me. I said, well, man, that would be awesome. 
Who are you? He said, I'm a missionary. And going to Naive's Haiti, I, I run an orphanage. I said, really? And I stood, I've never been so happy to hug a man from Georgia in all my life. And, and, and here I am, I'm calling missionaries, all different initials of apostolic, nobody's answering the phone. Return. And here's a Southern Baptist missionary walks over to me and says, you can go with me. And he said, where are you staying when we get into the Dominican? I don't even know. I got like a hundred bucks maybe in my pocket because I did buy a Butterfinger. And I said, I don't know. He goes, well, you know, when we get there, my friend, he's a missionary, and he has a home with extra rooms there in Santo Domingo. You can just stay with us. How many of you would have took that offer? I'm going to sleep in the home of some guy I don't even know. Sounds like Barney Five talking at you. I said, okay. Why well, didn't have any other choice? What, I mean, I had another choice. I could turn around, tuck tail, and went back home. Could have got to Santa Domingo and said, I don't speak the language. I don't know anybody, and went back home. We get to the airport. I'm at baggage claim. I'm talking about knowing the will of God and then following his voice. Now, this is an extreme example. Now, you better know it's God if you wake up tomorrow and go, I'm going to Pakistan to give out Bibles. You better know that's the will of God because you ain't coming home from that trip. So we get there, and I'm getting luggage. I can't even find him, you know. I was like the last one off the plane. And this young couple walks up to me from, like, Nebraska or Illinois or, you know, one of those states that we beat in football. And I, they walk right up to me, and they said, are you going to Haiti? And I said, yeah. And they started crying. She grabs my arms. She says, can we go with you? I said, well, I can't even get out. Like, I'm already somebody's guest. And she starts crying. And she says, you know, I told her I was a pastor. And she says to me, she says, um, we have two children we adopted about six months ago. We don't even know if they're alive. I have to get there and see those. I've got to get them home. I've got something from the U.S. consulate that says if I can find them, I can bring them home. And she's crying. And uh, so I said, sure, you can go with me. <laughs> so there's a, I'm going to be staying in a house about three blocks that way. You find it, give me your number. We'll, we'll, we'll meet up in the morning. Missionary walks over and he's like, hey, you ready? I said, yeah. Um, meet Cody and her, uh, her name is Cody. I said, meet Cody and her husband. I said, oh, they're going to go with us tomorrow. He goes, oh. I said, they got two kids. That they've adopted in an orphanage. They don't know if they're alive. He said, that's fine. Go with us. So went to that person's home. I'm trying to make this story quick. There's so many details. If I miss it, it's not going to make sense. And I go home, go to this house, and I walk in. I'm exhausted, you know, and I shake hands with a guy that I've never met. He's, like, really friendly, which really creeped me out. I slept with one eye open. I'm just telling you that right now. I slept with one eye open and mama didn't raise no fool. I slept with my pocket knife in my hand the whole time. I said, dear Lord, he come in here and try something. 
I ain't going down without a fight. Amen. <laughs> you say, hey, Pastor, you didn't do it. I carry a knife everywhere I go because all I want is an opportunity. Amen. I slept with one eye open because they were really friendly. I didn't want to end up, you know, in somebody's refrigerator. So I woke up that morning, and they were outside the house. We get on the bus. We ride nine hours. We get to the whole way, you know, sitting to see. They're blasting music. I got a migraine because the music is so loud. We're, like, screaming at each other to have a conversation. There's a, a Dominican guy sitting beside me. I'm talking to Cody and her husband, and uh, we're, we're just having this conversation. My head's pounding. And then we start getting to the border of Haiti, and the bus driver gets on there and lets us know, hey, we're... 30 minutes away from the border. If you're getting off the border, you know, this is where you're going to get off. And uh, I had noticed this guy sitting beside me kept looking at me the whole nine hours. And I'm, you know, somebody keeps staring at you like the driver did last night, uh, the other night in Quito, just like staring at like looking at me. It, it's a little unnerving. And I'm, I'm not sensitive or anything, but, you know, another man just keeps staring at you. I get a little, you know, I don't, what's and this man kept staring at me the whole time, just staring at me, staring at me. So we get about 30 minutes from the border. He finally speaks up in very broken English and Spanish and my broken Spanish and poor English. We began to communicate, and he keeps saying, hey, I know you. And I said, nah, you don't know me. He says, no, I, I know you. And, and Cody and her husband and the missionary, Missionary Smith, is watching this. I said, no, and I'm thinking it's a scam. Somehow, like he saw my passport, you know, when you're in these countries, you're always on the lookout for scam because when they see you, they see dollar signs. If you're smart, you will go in like that. If not, you will lose your shirt before you get one mile in country. And he keeps saying, I know you. I said, oh, you don't know me. He goes, no, I know you. He said, um, your name is, and he's saying in Spanish, uh, tu nombre es Evangelista Timoteo. And he started trying to get the wisdom. I mean, look. Even the German people can't say it. So I knew he knew who I was. And, and, I, and I started paying really close attention. And I'm like, I'm getting goosebumps. This is weird. And I said, I said, are you sure you, know, you got the right? He goes, no. You're, and he starts trying to say my name. He goes, you're from Texas. Well, I know I'm the only Timothy Wisnat on planet Earth. That's a fact. <laughs> and I know I'm the only one from where I'm from. And so he says, um, and when he said that, I said, how do you know me? He said, uh, uh, 11 years ago, you were in Santo Domingo, or you, you were in La Romana. You preached the Follow the Fire Crusade. I said, I did. Well, they're tripping out by this point. Like this guy, been on the bus with him nine hours. He's just now talking to me. Well, to be fair, I had my back to him talking to everybody else. And he had big tears in his eyes. He said, and I know you. He said, and I said, well, you were at the Follow the Fire Crusade in La Romana? He said, yes. He said, I was, I was a bus driver. They were busting people in from the city. He said, I was a city bus driver. I said, really? He goes, yeah. And on the second night of the crusade, I, I came into the Colosseum, and I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost in that crusade. I'll never forget who you were. Well, at this time, I just started bawling. The missionary who's Southern Baptist and believes tongues is of the devil is crying. And I said, well, what do you do now? He said, he went, I went to Bible school and I am a pastor now. And I said, where do you pastor? He said, on the border town of Haiti where we're going. It's one thing to know his will. It's another thing to hear his voice. 
not going to tell you the drama getting through Haiti, machine gun put right in my nose, trying to hold me up for money. I'd planned to buy more Butterfingers, and I wasn't letting go of that money. And little Creole woman grabbed the barrel of the rifle from a 16-year-old kid and pulled it down and said to him in Creole, this man has come to help us, and you're not going to take his money. Climbed in the back of a pickup truck with that young couple, the missionary, and a team from Omaha Rescue in the back of a pickup truck. We rode three hours through the countryside of Haiti into the city of Port-au-Prince that was literally on fire, 500,000 people dead in the city from the earthquake. We, have, we pull up into a compound. They open a metal gate, Brother Henderson, 12-foot walls, broken glass embedded in the top. It's an orphanage. We pull into the orphanage and get out. He's introducing me to the Haitian who runs the orphanage, which is called the Gift of God or Hope of God uh, 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 Orphanage. And we're meeting, and I see tents everywhere, and I've got baggages you know, filled with baby formula and medical supplies. And the missionary... Uh, that is introducing me to the orphanage director that's connected with his orphanage and their Christian organization begins to talk to me. I introduce them and I said, this couple somewhere in this city, there is kids and they show pictures of the kid and they don't even know if they're alive. They come to get the kids. The orphanage director says, I know those kids. They're just about two blocks that way at our other satellite orphanage. Oh, by the way, this is that family, the Vaquera family. People sometimes say, I think they make this stuff up. Prove me. I don't make them up. They, I didn't even get to see them re, re, to get their kids. All I knew was they, they thanked me and hugged me and dad even kissed me which was a little weird but it's fine he was so happy I get it you know he was happy he, they took off down the street five minutes later brother Nate the gate opens again and a big old white van pulls in like a really nice white van and about 15 Japanese men step off wearing scrubs and I didn't look folks I didn't know where I was going to stay I, now I'm in Port-au-Prince it's a war zone I don't even know where I'm going to stay and the orphanage guy the, the, the Haitian guy says to me would you like to stay with us? Yeah, where? He said, well, we got a tent. I'm t it was a pup tent. If you know what a pup tent is, it's for pups. My feet hung two feet out from underneath that deal. And all around me are these beautiful red dome tents. And when you open them up, they raised up mattresses and everything. And these Japanese guys get off, and I don't speak Japanese. I speak abrangato and, and uh, no like sushi. I speak that. And they get off, and they're all wearing their scrubs. And they said, you're, you're wanting to connect to the hospital. I said, sure. They come walking over. There's a Japanese translator who speaks English and Japanese, which hearing him speak Spanish, being a native Japanese, I couldn't get over that. It was, it was cool and funny sometimes because he, he had a really short temper, and he would start yelling in Spanish with Japanese accent. It was, it was crazy. <laughs> I'm telling you, you got to sit back and laugh because it's, it's pretty funny when he's – I, I know some of the Spanish words that aren't the good words, and he knew them very well with a Japanese accent. It was hilarious. <laughs> that man, this guy, they don't get him under control. He's going to take something over. And so they walk over to me, and they said, America, you know, you're American? I said, yeah. And they said, what do you do? And I said, I'll, I'll do anything. You rescue. I mean, I'm, I'm trained as a paramedic. 
They said, well, we desperately need your help. There's only two hospitals left standing in Port-au-Prince, and we're trying to run one of them. We are desperately, we need medical supplies. We need help. Would you come work with us? Yeah, I I don't even know where I'm going. (laughs) Sure. They gave me a tent. They brought their own chef. I worked there for 10 days, became dear friends with these Japanese doctors. Oh, by the way, this is the national emergency team for Japan. So when there's a natural disaster, these are the 15 doctors they send around the world. Dr. Tetsu Shimizu, you can go to Facebook, he's friends with me. He's the head doctor of emergency medicine for Japan. He's one of my dear friends now. I couldn't have planned this trip any better. When I started telling people about the trip, they were going, yeah, I get on Facebook. Tetsu Shimizu, Vakari family. You know, they're like, oh, wow, wow, this is crazy. Now, I told that story to say this. I told that story to say this. God's voice said go. But what did I have to do? Do it. Now, God's not, he, he didn't speak to me like that every day. Thank you, by the way. It's rare. But in those moments, God is speaking. You need to be able to respond to his voice and not have to be like a Gideon laying out fleeces before the Lord to prove himself that he's actually meaning what he says. I want us to get to the place where we're mature Christians, where we can say, all right, God, you're speaking to me. Well, pastor, is he going to speak for me to go to Haiti? I don't know. He could. I have no, I have no idea. I'm not God, if that helps you out. But he is going to speak to you. And he is going to nudge you. And most often it's going to be, pray for that person. God wouldn't want me to be embarrassed. Oh, how you don't know God. If God wanted me to do that, I would feel comfort and I wouldn't feel, I wouldn't feel this hesitancy. Are you sure? Because God calls us to do things beyond our ability that we think we can do. How many have done something God's asked you to do and you didn't even think you can do it until you did it and you look back and went? I think God didn't think you could translate. Afraid to fly on airplanes. He's been in what, five countries, four or five countries? Translated national meetings. First time I asked him to go with me, he was like, Pastor, my translation isn't that good. I said, well, we'll find out. Listen, God is speaking regularly to us. Are we listening to his voice? And then, are we doing what his voice says to do? Would you stand with me tonight? I know this isn't profound. I I, I know we're not, uh, you know, angels aren't doing backflips in front of us right now and sprinkling you know, magic fairy dust all over the room. We have got to stop waiting for the heavens to split open and see Jacob's ladder coming down before we just do what God's asking us to do. Pastor, what is God saying in my life? Here's one. Love your neighbor and treat them as you would want people to treat you. 
That was actually one of the harder things. Haiti is a breeze compared to that sometimes. Right? You got a rude bank teller, they get your order wrong and all that, and you're sitting there going, oh. God's speaking. How many believe God's speaking to you? Look, he's, he, he, he's not telling you to parachute into Afghanistan to start selling bacon on the corner. He's not telling you to do some insanely difficult thing. Let me tell you what he's doing. He's telling you to love people and be willing to share with them the faith you have in Christ. I want to know the will of God, but then I want to be able to respond when God speaks and say, all right, Lord, where you lead me? I know I use an extreme example, but we can do that on a day. On a daily basis, what, what about when you're walking in the break room and the Spirit of the Lord nudges you and says, them, go invite them to dinner in your home this week. And then you say, well, if the Lord knows my schedule. If it was really God, he would have known I'm too busy. No, it's okay. Well, pastor, what if they say no? You think God didn't know they would say no? Maybe God was preparing you for weeks down the road when you're going to do it again and again until it finally happens. We say we want to be disciple makers. They don't fall into our lap. We have to follow him to reach them. Amen. Why don't we lift our hands together right now. Lord Jesus, I thank you tonight for your word. I thank you, Lord, because you are a speaking God. You are God of life and truth. You are not the author of confusion. And to those who will seek you, they will find you. To those who knock, you will open. To those to ask, they will receive. For you will not withhold yourself from your children. And you told us that it was your good pleasure to give unto your children that, that which would lead them. And Lord, I pray right now as this incredible congregation and family of believers right now Lord, I pray that we would open not just our ears to hear, but Lord, that we would have faith to take the steps and to speak and do what you are asking and you are calling us to do. Lord, before this year is over, I, I don't want this seat beside me to be vacant. I, I want you to lead me to somebody that wants to be a follower. Lord, before this year is over, I, I don't want people on my job just to see me as a Christian, but I want to, I want to be able to, I want to be able to be more than just the light. I want to be vocal with my faith. God, help me to know your will and help me to respond to your, your calling in my life on a daily basis, Lord. I want to, I want to be your child. You said that if I would be led by your spirit, that I would be your son, I would be your daughter. Exactly who I want to be. I don't want to just be Christian in name only. I don't want to just come to church on Sunday and Tuesday and Thursday and feel like I'm I'm paying my religious penance. But God, I, I, I want to take a honest spiritual evaluation of where I am. And I don't want to walk in emptiness, oh God. I, I don't want to walk around feeling like I'm I'm not being fulfilled spiritually, Lord. But I want to be fulfilled.
by responding to your word and responding to your will. I want to follow after your voice, whether it's on the mountaintop, whether it's on the rocky ledges of the canyons, whether it's in the lush green valleys, whether it's the shadow of death, whether it's the still waters. You are my shepherd and I want to follow your voice wherever it says go to, whatever it says do. somebody beside you for just a moment. There is such a beautiful touch of the Holy Ghost here tonight. Just pray with them for a moment. Say, God, give them the strength, Lord. Strengthen us to follow after your voice. Because you're calling us. You're calling us to do more than just attend. Lord, you're calling us to more than just wear our religion on our sleeve. Lord, but you're Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. It's such an honor that we could have you, and we pray you were blessed by the word today. We want to stay connected with you, and so give us a follow on our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all of those on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also stay connected with us through that uh, website, and you can download it as an app on your phone from there. And so until the next time, we pray you're blessed. Have a great week in Jesus' name.